Hey, good morning. Good morning. Uh, so as, as Michael introduced, for those who don't know me, I'm uh, what they say, the executive pastor here, a fancy title. Um, my job is to help George look good on Sunday, and hopefully you guys not miss him as much. <laughs> so let's go ahead and um, we'll get started. Um, today, uh, the title of my message is going to be, uh, Where is My Faith? And I titled that because I was thinking about uh, these days we live in just such a con- consumer culture. And it's not like previous generations weren't consumeristic, but it just, it might surprise you. Just think about how much the world has changed in the last 50 years. Uh, for example, Starbucks was founded in 1971, but actually didn't become profitable until the 1990s. There used to be a time in the dark ages of coffee where the best part of waking up used to be Folgers in your cup. <laughs> Instead of a tall, Triple grande latte, no foam, extra whip, 152 degrees with soy milk. How did they manage back then? And we, we live in a consumer, not only do we live in this culture, but have you noticed that we want things our way? And not only do we want them our way, we don't want to wait for them to come. Um, I don't know if you guys know about this amazing thing called Amazon Prime, but according to Amazon Prime, they guarantee they'll have your delivery in two days. So I, I decided, I'm like, I'm going to test this out. So I ended up buying a new uh, guitar case. I know, um, I actually really don't play the guitar, but I like to think I do. So I got this guitar case, and two days later, guess what? It did not arrive. I was upset. See, so you guys are like, oh, I was mistreated. I know it's coming all the way from Southern California, but it took them three days to finally bring my case. And I'm like, and I'm thinking, what is wrong with them? What are they thinking? Um, sometimes when my kids stream Netflix, you know the thing where it buffers, where it spins for a little bit? Um, it takes about 30 seconds, and my kids are like, it's not working. I'm like, can you give it a minute? It's going to space and back. It only takes 30 seconds. And I, I might sound old when I say this, but I'm, I'm 32, so I think it's okay. Uh, do any of you guys remember this sound? If you don't know what that sound is, we have youth group tonight at 6 o'clock for our junior high and high school. But for those who don't know, uh, that is a sound of your computer dialing up onto the internet and you had to wait. And even wor- it was even worse if you're like me. We only had one telephone line at the home. So when I was out with my friends or if I'm at youth group and I need a ride home, when I'd call, this is what I would hear. That is call waiting, which to me used to be of me waiting for my dad to get off the internet so that I can call home and hopefully get a ride and not have to walk. And, and I, this I thought was entertaining. Um, a few weeks ago, I had a flight that was supposed to only be two hours, but it ended up almost being a two-hour flight. We get on the plane, and then we end up having to sit an hour and a half on the tarmac, not moving. They didn't want to deplane us. And then not only do we have to sit there, they let you know you can't stand because it's going to be a safety hazard. And they decide that, you know what, we need a prime example to remind people. So lo and behold, our lead pastor, George, decided to stand up 
and then the only person on the plane, they, out, they don't walk to you, but on the intercom, they're like, excuse me, we just ask everyone to sit down for your safety and that we can leave at our earliest convenience. And now all of our eyes are on George, judging him, thinking, what is the safety issue that he is causing? And so here, here's what's entertaining me about that. Think about the Oregon Trail journey from Missouri to Oregon. It's a four-hour flight. It used to be a four- to six-month journey, and people died along the way. That is a delay. <laughs> I'm so glad. I wrote that down like, I hope this is funny. I was laughing so hard. I was laughing so hard. My wife just stared at me. I'm like, I, this, this has got to be funny. It is to me. And, you know, I, I don't think there's anything, um, there's nothing wrong with this culture we live in today. Um, but I think it is wrong when it starts to uh, spill into our faith, when our consumerism can affect our beliefs about God. And sometimes when I talk to someone, I'll hear them say, you know, I, I like it when God talks about love, but I don't, I don't know about this God who judges sin. Uh, they get really excited about loving their neighbor, but... Is he really the only way to heaven? Or I'll hear, I'll hear people say, you know, man, I'm really excited about a God who wants to serve and take care of me, but I don't know about this God that's asking me to sacrifice myself. Or we don't want to wait for our prayers to be answered. We don't want to wait two weeks. That's not exactly two years either. We want our prayers answered in two minutes. And yet the Bible frequently says, we need to wait on the Lord. As Psalm 135 says this, I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word I hope. That's hard for us to do. It's hard to wait on the Lord when I'm no longer waiting for my coffee. I don't even make a pot anymore. I have a Keurig. I, and sometimes I wake up irritated that it now has to wait to warm up before I can start my coffee. You guys, I know, I know you guys can feel my pain. I see the size in this room. You all know this experience of excited for that coffee. Now, is having to warm up. Uh, in fact, here's something interesting. Uh, sociologists are now calling out our consumer culture that it's stealing our sense of awe and wonder. And for example, I have this phone. Um, it has a GPS on it that tells me where to go when I'm lost. I can read a book on it. I can listen to music. I can take photos. I can shoot videos. I can even talk to more than one person at the same time. I have two lines just on this phone alone. And yet, to be honest, it doesn't amaze me. Interestingly, I don't think it amazes God either. I don't think God in all his glory is gathering around the angels of heaven and says, you've got to check out this Amazon Echo. It speaks back to you whatever you say. So what, my question is, what does amaze God? I heard a pastor point out uh, two uh, different things that amaze Jesus. And the first one we're going to talk about is in Matthew chapter 6. So Jesus goes back to his hometown at Nazareth to teach. And it says that many people were blown away at his teaching. But then there was another group of people who looked at Jesus. And they were offended by him. They said, isn't that Joseph's son? Isn't that just a carpenter? And it said they were deeply offended and they refused to believe. So going down to Mark uh, 6 verse 5, 
It says Jesus, he was not able to do a miracle there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. Jesus saying all he was able to do is lay hands on a few couple people. And to me, I think that's pretty cool. But it sounds like it's a pretty bad day at the office for Jesus if he only can heal a few. And then going down to Mark 6, 6, it says, And he was amazed at their unbelief. He was going around the villages teaching. He wasn't amazed at their lack of love. He wasn't amazed at their lack of religion. He wasn't amazed at their lack of rituals. It says he was amazed at their lack of faith. And not only was he amazed at their lack of faith, it was their lack of faith that caused them to miss the miracle. It says he couldn't do any miracles among them because of a lack of faith. I couldn't imagine seeing people healed. I'm like, I still don't believe. That didn't happen. But then we contrast it to a story in Matthew chapter 8. There's a Roman centurion, which is just an officer in the Roman army. And the officer has a servant who's very sick, even to the point of death. He hears about this man, Jesus, that he can heal people. So he sends some of the Jewish leaders over to go and seek and request Jesus to come to him. But before Jesus can get to his house, the Roman centurion ends up sending a messenger out to Jesus. And this is what he says in Matthew 8.8. 8. Lord, the centurion replied, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. But just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority, having soldiers under my command. I say to this one, go, and he goes. And to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. Hearing this, Jesus was amazed. And said to those following him, Truly I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with so great a faith. So there's that word again, amazed. But this time, Jesus isn't amazed at a lack of faith. He is amazed at this man's big faith. This Roman centurion believed that Jesus had so much authority over heaven and earth that he didn't have to put his hand on the servant. He could just say the word and be healed. So my message today is about faith, and I'm going to try to urge all of us, including myself, that we would take some kind of step today of faith, the kind of step that could move mountains, that doesn't miss miracles, a type of faith where Jesus would be amazed. So how do I have a bigger kind of faith? How do I have a kind of faith um, where I'm not missing a miracle that that God would be amazed. And I, I think Matthew gives us some prime examples. So we're going to look at um, a passage today, Matthew 14, and we're going to start at verse 22. It says, Immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side, while he dismissed the crowds. After dismissing the crowds, he went up to the mountain by himself to pray. Well into the night he was there alone. Meanwhile, the boat was already some distance from the land, Battered by the waves because of the wind was against them. Jesus came towards them walking on the sea very early in the morning. When the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they cried. And they cried out in fear. Immediately, Jesus spoke to them, have courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. Lord, if it is you, Peter answered, command me to come to you on the water. He said, come. 
And climbing out of the boat, Peter started walking on the water and came towards Jesus. But when he saw the strength of the wind, he was afraid and began to sink. He cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand, caught hold of him, and said to him, You of little faith. Why did you doubt? When they got into the boat, the wind ceased. Then those in the boat worshipped him and said, Truly, you are the Son of God. Could you imagine? Just imagine just, just being in this boat. It's, it's dark. It says well into morning. It's around probably around 3 in the morning. Waves are crashing everywhere. You're in an exhaustion. And then off in the distance, you, you see something as if someone's walking on the water. I would have freaked out. I would have screamed. And then Jesus assures him that it's him. It's not like you're like, oh, hey, don't worry, guys. It's just, it's just Jesus walking on the water. I'd be, I'd be freaking out. There's no way this is Jesus. And then Peter has the faith to say, God, if it's really you, command me to come to you. And Peter gets out of the boat and a miracle happens. It says that Peter starts walking on the water. And then imagine if you're sitting there, you're watching this miracle, you're seeing Peter walk on the water, and all of a sudden you see a gust of the winds come. And then Peter starts sinking. Peter cries out, Lord, help me. And when Jesus grabs him, he says, you of little faith. Why did you doubt? Now this is key, and I think it can be easy to miss. Sometimes I heard, I heard pastors say like, oh, here's a failing Peter. You know, if only he had enough faith, look what would have happened. But did Peter have faith? Yes. It was a, a little bit of faith. But a little bit of faith, look what he did. Peter was able to walk on the water. And then I, what ties in is so good is if a few chapters later on Matthew seventeen twenty, Jesus gives this definition of what I can do with just a little bit of faith. Because of your little faith, he told them, for truly I tell you, if you have the faith the size of a mustard seed, you will tell this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. Faith, like a mustard seed, and God can move a mountain. And moving a mountain, that sounds like big, audacious faith. But he says, no, 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 you, you just need a little bit of faith. So what, what's a mountain? What's the definition of a mountain? Well, here when Jesus is talking about a mountain, he's talking about what, what is something that's just too big to move? Immovable person. Maybe it's an, it's an impossible task, an unsolvable problem, a mountain in your life. He's talking about what are your biggest problems you're facing? So let me ask, ask you, how many of us here today would say, I need God to do a miracle. I need God to move a mountain. Our family right now, we could really use a miracle. My health, I could use a miracle. My son or my daughter, I need God to move a mountain in their life. There is something that if God doesn't divinely intervene, I'm going to be stuck. Now get this, because you have faith, it doesn't mean that God is going to move that mountain. I think this is where we can get tripped up sometimes. This goes back to sometimes being consumeristic. Our faith cannot manipulate God that way. But a lack of faith seems sure that God won't move that mountain. If I have a lack of faith, it seems for sure there's a possibility that that mountain isn't going to be moved. Sometimes people say, well, why should I even try? Well, try. it's better, better than not trying at all. I've, I've said this to friends before. I'd rather go up to bat and miss 
than to, to stay on the bench the entire time. So how do I get a little faith, the faith of a mustard seed that can move a mountain? How would I grow my faith? A faith that would amaze Jesus. And Jesus gives this example of a mustard seed. It, it goes against um, an issue that we have with faith. And if you're new to faith or you're rediscovering your faith, we, we, we really have to understand this issue. And the issue is, um, at times I hear people say, oh, well, if only I had enough faith. Um, oh, God, they must have a lot of faith. God is doing some amazing things in their life. Or you're saying like, ah, oh, if, if only I had enough faith, then God would have done this. No, no, no. It's just you you got to have a small mustard seed of faith, and God can work with that. It's not a matter of how much faith we have. It's a matter of how big your faith, of how big the faith is with God. A little bit of faith in a great big God is more than enough. God is more enough to do all that he's required. God made the mountains in the sea. He can certainly move a mountain into the sea. But I think at times we tend to focus on the mountain. And Jesus is saying, no, 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 get your eye off the mountain. And just focus on that, focus on having a little bit of faith. Focus on that mustard seed. Because that's how God is going to work. That's how God is going to grow and change us. So I have a, just a picture here. This is, this is what a little mustard seed looks like. It's, just, it's real small. So just, all you need is just a little bit of faith. The size of a mustard seed. And then I have another visual. This is what a mustard seed can grow into. Well, I didn't even know about that one, so that's awesome. There we go. Mm. They did snuck that in. They did. Mm. See, see what happens when George isn't around? <laughs> he, they wouldn't get away with that with him, for sure. So this, this is what a mustard seed can go into. They're like, we need to add some humor to his sermon here. This is getting bad. All right, let's add a hot dog. So this is what the, so this is, look at this. Look what a mustard seed could grow into. That's huge. Just a, just a little bit of faith. And God can grow it. So today we're going to talk about their, just how do, what are the four things they have to do to grow, grow a mustard seed of faith? How do you have a, a little, how do I take that little bit of faith and how do I grow it where I can move a mountain? Well, number one, the first thing we have to do is, we have to listen to God. Look what Peter did. He listened to Jesus and he got out of the boat. Psalms 85.8 says this, I listen carefully to what God the Lord is saying, for he speaks peace to his faithful people, but let them not return to their foolish ways. In other words, we don't wake up in the morning and go, oh, you know what, I'm going to have some big faith today. I'm going to pump myself up on faith. It's not like we go to the gym and say, you know what, today I'm just going to bench 200 pounds. Never done before, but I'm just, I'm just going to pump myself up and do it. No. So we we got to read the Bible. We hear from the Word of God. We pray, and over time, it changes the way we think, and over time, it grows our faith. So something, I actually have uh, some homework for you guys this week, my challenge. It's on the notes. It's a, try reading a chapter like Psalm 103 this week. And as you read that chapter this week, begin to pray, God, give me a vision for who you truly are. Show me how big and able you are in my life. 
Because if you get that, you will take that small mustard seed of faith and turn it into a big, bold, mountain-moving faith that Christ could be amazed. Second thing we need to do is we have to tell God what we need. Could you imagine when Peter started doubting? Can you imagine Peter just sinking in the water? He's like, well, I'm not going to ask the Lord for help. I'm just going to sink. No, he's, he says, Lord, save me. If we're going to live a life of faith, we have to trust God and we have to tell God what we need. God knows what we need. He knows everything, but he wants us to tell him what he needs because it's a relationship of faith. It's not a sales relationship we have. It's a personal relationship with God. I need to tell God what what I need. And when we tell God what we need, he meets those needs. And when he meets those needs, he can do some incredible things. Uh, One of the verses on this is Philippians 4, 6. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need. And thank him for all that he's done. And when we do that, the Bible says he's going to heal our anxieties. We need this verse every day. I need this verse every day. We all struggle with worry. And we know that our worries can pile up. Did you also know that your your prayers can pile up too? When our prayers pile up, we can get overwhelmed in our life. When our prayers start to pile up, we start to get overwhelmed by God's love, by God's grace, by God's ability to meet us in our struggles. So we have to tell God what we need. Prayer is the number one tool for having faith that can move a mountain. We can't move a mountain without prayer, without talking to God and saying, God, here's what I need. Another verse, uh, one of my favorite verses in this, when I tell this to my kids, it drives them nuts. Uh, James 4.2, you do not have what you want because you do not ask God for it. So one of, uh, one of my closest friends, um, is he actually got the quarterback of the Arizona Cardinals to speak to his church. And I asked him, how did you get the quarterback from the Arizona Cardinals willing to speak? And he simply told me, you have not because you've asked not. And I was like, no, no, no. What, what really did you do? And he's like, I asked him. And I said, what do you mean you asked him? I'm like, let me see the script that you typed it out when you sent this to him. Or let me read the email. I wanted to see verbatim the seeker on how do I get the quarterback. And he's all, I sent him a tweet on Twitter. I'm like, you What? And I know some of you guys are thinking, Scott, it's the Arizona Cardinals. It's not that hard. They'll, they'll do it right away. <laughs> but we have not because we ask not. So I'm going to tell you something. This has nothing to do with my sermon. For some reason, it worked well in first service, so we'll try this again. Um, so it's not on my notes here. But um, I've always had a dream. Uh, you know, we have not because we ask not. I would love to have Chris Pratt come and speak sometime. Um, he, uh, he's a faith believer in Jesus. I would love for George to interview him. I could just, I love the idea of like, what if we had a friend day where, you know, it's hard, sometimes it can be hard for me to invite someone to church or they'll say no. But if I said, hey, would you like to hear Chris Pratt speak? Oh yeah, I'd love to hear Chris Pratt. So you have not, because you asked not if anyone here has a connection. He lives in Everett. He serves at the Boys and Girls Club up there. See, I've looked into this. Um, he visits the Seattle <laughs> Children's Hospital. If there's a way you can get Chris Pratt here I would, I would be your best friend forever. I, I just imagine George uh, 
dressing up in like his uniform and coming out on stage and asking for awkwardly an autograph here while he's in front of everybody. But I would love somehow, if you have not, because you asked not, I'd love to see uh, Chris Pat speak at our church. I think that'd be really rad. Um, if something I want to think about is, um, are we praying big prayers of faith? Are we praying big prayers of faith? So think of this. If God were to answer every one of your prayers this week, if you prayed and God said, yep, 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 if he, if he answered every one of your prayers this week, what would be different in the world today? And some of you here would say, the world would be very different. People would be coming to Christ. Churches would be getting started. Kids would be fed. Single moms would be cared for. Foster kids would be adopted. Some would say, if God answered my prayers this week, my food would be really, really blessed. Because that's what we pray. We, or we pray, um, we would have gone to Grandma's house safely. Or the Mariners would finally win the World Series. That would be our prayers. But I ask, would Jesus be amazed at your faith? Or would he be amazed at our lack of faith in our prayer life? What kind of prayers are we praying And no matter how we answer that today, I believe we can leave church today with a growing faith, even if it just starts as small as that mustard seed. This is a relationship. So in faith, God wants us to tell him what we need, and he wants to meet those needs. Number three, we have, uh, sorry, we forgive those who hurt us. Jesus talked to the disciple three times about seeds of faith in uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And in those three times, when he talks about that seed of faith that can move mountains, two of those three times, he talks about forgiveness as he talks about mountains being moved. In Luke, after Jesus says, you need to forgive those who hurt you, the disciples say, well, Lord, increase our faith. And then what, what he ends up talking about is, well, you got to start with this mustard seed. And in Mark, he says that the prayer that moves mountains won't be heard if there is unforgiveness. So unforgiveness obviously is keeping a lot of mountains in their place. That is why it's so important if we're going to plant seeds of faith. In fact, you guys might even want to write this down. Faith moves mountains. Unforgiveness makes mountains. Unforgiveness makes barriers. It makes barriers between us and the people around us. It makes barriers between us and the dreams that God has for our lives. It makes barriers between us and God, and unforgiveness is going to make those mountains. That's why you have to forgive those who hurt you. And I think it's simple. Everyone tells us we need to give. You don't. You didn't have to come to church this morning to hear about how good it is to forgive others. You know, it doesn't take a genius. I think to see what bitterness does to people, how it's a poison in people's lives. I, I've seen it affect so, so many people where they get wrapped in on this, on this focus of bitterness. They get focused on this anger. And not only affects them, it affects those around us. So the, so the question is, where do I find the power to forgive? Where, where do I find the strength to forgive? To say to do it is one thing, but to find the power to do it is entirely different. 
That's why I think the Bible talks about it in Ephesians 4.32 where we get that ability to forgive. It says, And be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another, just as God also forgave you in Christ. The ability to forgive, it comes from being forgiven. It comes from being forgiven. So if I'm struggling to forgive, I need to connect with forgiveness that God has given me. Because that's where the ability comes from. I, I think it's okay. We we tend whatever we focus on, that's usually what we become. When I when I focus on being bitter, when I focus on, on anger, I become that way. Um, when 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 we focus on being unforgiving, when we focus on forgiving others as Christ has forgiven me, I'm gonna be a more forgiving person. And as we talk about forgiveness, I think usually we tend to think about that one person or that one incident in our past that we have been struggling to forgive. In fact, there might be a name name or, or a situation in your head right now. But this is a daily thing. We need to plant this seed of faith. Every one of us needs forgiveness every day. Sometimes it's, and usually what I've noticed, at least for uh, me, the people I need to forgive are those that are closest to me. Usually it's people around me, at my family, or it's at work, or it's at school. Because if you're close to people, guess what? We mess up. We hurt those that are closest to us. And we do things, people do things because they mess up because we're all human. So we all have to constantly forgive. Any family has to constantly forgive each other. Any workplace where people are working relatively close, we have to constantly forgive. Even just uh, less than two weeks ago, my wife and daughter had to forgive me. Um, we decided uh, to take take the kids to a water park in Lake Chelan. Uh, my kids, they're seven, five, and two. They've The biggest amount of water or body of water they have known is a bathtub, so I wasn't fully thinking there. But uh, they have their life vest on, and as we walk in, there's this uh, the first water slide we see, um, they're so pumped. There's no sense of fear or danger. They just think they can do anything at this moment. Um, so my son jumps on the water slide. He's five and goes right in, and he seems seems to be okay. He, he was happy with it. Later on, he wanted to go on a bigger slide and cried and uh, changed his perspective of fear. But um, that one, he was fine. And then my two-year-old little girl wanted to go on the water slide. And me, being a good father, I'm like, well, I'm not going to have her go alone. She's two. So I set her down on the slide. She's really happy. And then I, I go to uh, sit next to her. And then when I go sit next to her, my uh, seven-year-old says something to me, and I accidentally let go of my daughter. And the current goes... <laughs> and in slow motion, I kid you not, I see her eyes get wider and wider. And as the current spins her body from sitting down to onto her stomach, and I see that arm grasping over slowly, saying, Daddy, help. <laughs> And then as I see my wife running and jumping into the water and grabbing our daughter, and the first thing my daughter Emma says is, go home. No more water. I had, I had to receive forgiveness. And, and could you imagine, and my wife, she forgave me right away. At least I think so. She didn't say anything. But could you imagine that trip, a family vacation? And then the whole day she's just angry at me, how that would have been like. And then Emma, it, it took her almost 30 minutes before she would even touch me, let alone get back in the water. And then the whole time we're just on the lazy river and she's glued to you for her dear life the entire time. 
Friends, the more quickly we forgive, the more powerful we plant seeds of faith in our lives. It's one of the ways we grow our faith. It's through the choice to forgive as Jesus has forgiven us. And then there's one more thing. Fourth thing, if I'm, if I'm going to keep growing my faith, if I'm going to plant mustard seeds of faith, I thank God. Thank God for who He is. I thank God for who you are. I thank God for what He's doing. I don't know anything more powerful that's going to build our faith than thanking God. Because there's something about thanking God that gets our eyes off our circumstances we're facing. And just by thanking Him, sharing for the gratefulness towards Him. And I know some, some of us here, you, we've had some of the most horrendous weeks imaginable. And if that's you, I'd love to sit and talk with you afterwards. I'd love to pray with you. Or I, I hope that you have someone in your life that you can sit and talk to with. Where none of us are meant to do this alone. And even in the midst of the worst week possible, one of the keys to hold a faith is finding the place where I can thank God. The fact that I thank God that he's willing to even get me through this, that God is working in my life even through this, that God's not going to fail me in the midst of whatever it is. Uh, many of you guys know um, our friends, uh, they've been at church for about four years, uh, Brandon and Abby Wenzel. Um, they're, they're one of the... Uh, you instantly feel loved and valued when you talk to them, and uh, they've been greeting since um, since I've known since they've been here. Um, you almost can't have miss at one point um, seeing, seeing their friendly face and just um, making you feel valued and loved. And a couple of weeks ago, they had one of the most horrendous weeks imaginable. Uh, their sewer line ended up breaking at their home, ended up flooding their entire basement, and then. Um, Abby ended up giving birth to a little girl, and when she was born, she ended up being very sick. And so they had to rush her to the Seattle Children's Hospital, and each day, they didn't know if she was going to make it. Um, she's, she's doing so much better now, but I asked Abby and Brandon, I asked for permission, I said, can I, can I just read one of your posts? So this was 10 days ago, I'm going to read this on July 12th, 10 days ago, what they were going through when every day they didn't know what was going to happen next. And this is what they wrote. One day at a time, every day we get to say, Good morning, Lily, is the greatest and most gracious gift the Heavenly Father has ever given Brandon and I. And here we are, preparing to walk downstairs one more day, also swollen, though not even close from crying, and crying out again and again. But we made it through another night. We even rested, truly rested for a few hours, only God can give the peace to bring us to that kind of heavenly rest because my God meets all my needs according to his riches and his glory in Christ Jesus. How great is our God? We are utterly helpless and powerless in this situation, yet he carries us with confidence even knowing that he is in control. He knows he's got this. We have no clue what we will find when we walk downstairs, but he does. Every night I have been thinking of Psalms 126.5. Those who who sow in tears will reap in songs of joy. In Psalms 35, though the sorrow may last through the night, joy comes in the morning. Each morning has been greeted with joy. Joy in the midst of chaos And the joy of saying good morning again to our Lily.
Guys, my friends, God is doing a miracle in her. And I have a, a photo of, this was yesterday, posted of what she looks like now. Um, it's incredible, just her opening her eyes. God is doing, God is answering our prayers. And many of you guys, um, since the moment we heard of this news, have been praying for this family, have been praying for Lily. And um, it, it, what's great, it looks like she still has a long road of recovery, but it, she's going to make it through. God is answering our prayers for our church. God is answering our prayers for this little girl. And when I read that 10 days ago, it stretched my faith. It increased me. That is the kind of faith when we're trying to move a mountain, a faith that would amaze Jesus. The hardest times to be grateful is on the worst days of life. But when you're grateful even on the most difficult times, you're building, we're building faith in unimaginable ways. We find that one thing we can thank Him for, because in that attitude of thanksgiving, God powerfully grows our faith. Thank you, God, while I'm going through this. I can trust your loving Father. I can trust that you're going to be faithful to me. Uh, Romans 11.33 says this, Oh, what a wonderful God we have. How great are His wisdom and knowledge and riches. Guys, there is tremendous power in your life to gratitude. Medical study after medical study after medical study has shown that gratitude is one of the healthiest things you can do. Uh, so I actually took an expert from uh, Harvard Medical. It says, in positive psychological research, gratitude is strongly and consistently associated with greater happiness. Gratitude helps people feel more positive emotions, relish good experiences, improve their health, deal with adversity, and build strong relationships. When we decide to thank God, when we're grateful, we're planting that seeds of faith that we need every day. I think every, in every, every one of us, we, we have faith in something. Some people have faith in themselves. Faith, it's, it's a process of humanity. And it's not a question, do you have faith? It's a question, what, what do you have faith in? And oftentimes, the size of our faith is the size of our God. Friends, I believe, I believe in a God that is all-powerful. I believe a God that's all-knowing and forever present. I believe in a God that allowed Peter to walk on water. I believe a God that is high and exalted, whose thoughts are higher than my thoughts, whose ways are beyond my ways. I believe in a God whose love I cannot be separated from whose power I can't contain, whose mercy I do not deserve. I believe in a God who exists out of four dimensions of space, who can break the laws of nature anytime he wants. I believe in a God who spoke the word into existence in one word, and a God that's going to reign forever. And because of that, Ephesians 3 says this, Now glory be to God, who by his mighty power at work within us is able to do far more than we would ever dare to ask or even dream of, infinitely beyond our highest prayers, desires, thoughts, or hopes. If you think about that problem or that issue in your life right now, you just need to know that you cannot measure or contain all that God is able to do. It's more than you ever ask or imagine. So let me ask you, do you believe that today? And the truth is, you're never going to change yourself. We're never going to be able to change our circumstances overwhelming us all by ourselves. 
on our own, just trusting in some principle. We need to have a relationship. And, and he is the one that can move the mountains. God moves mountains, and he wants to have a relationship with us. It's the ability is not ourselves, it's in Jesus Christ. And so I'm going to close with this. One of my favorite verses, and I'm sorry, very stories in the Bible is in Mark chapter 9. And on verse 24, there's a father whose son is possessed by some evil spirits. And he doesn't know what to do, do, so he comes to Jesus and says this in Mark 9, 22. And many times it has thrown him into the fire or water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Jesus said to him, if you can, can you imagine Jesus? If you can, those three words are not in his vocabulary. I can't imagine what Jesus says. But then he says, everything is possible for the one who believes. And immediately the father of the boy cried out, I do believe, but help my unbelief. He says, help my unbelief. And Jesus says, that's good enough. That's good enough. I don't have to have all the answers to, for Jesus to accept me. I don't have to, I, I, I can still have doubts. And Jesus still accepts me. Jesus says, that's good enough. Say, God, I, I believe, but help my unbelief in that, and that's good enough for Jesus. And when, when we're in church sometimes, you know, I, when, it, when I hear that verse, when, when we're worshiping and I think about those problems or those mounds in my life or some of them you guys are thinking right now, I'm like, oh, God, I, I do believe. I do believe you can do those things. But then I go home. I make some lunch. I'll run around with the kids. I'll play some games with my friends and family. And then when I lay in my head at night, when I, I start thinking about those winds in my life like, like Peter, those doubts, and I wonder, do I believe? So I, 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 I pray to God, and I have God, and I pray in my heart, but help my unbelief. Would you give me a greater faith to see who you are and what you could do in my life? Would you remove my doubts? Grow these seeds of faith and start moving these mountains because I cannot do it on my own strength. Would you give me a faith that would amaze? So I ask you guys today, what is the one thing that you could trust God in? What is the one thing that God is asking for you to trust in Him right now? What, what would it take to have a faith that could amaze? Let's go ahead and pray. Lord, I, I pray for many of us here, Lord. We each have mountains. Our, I, God, I pray that you would start removing those mountains even today now, that things will slowly even be moon as we get home, that you'd be building those seeds of faith. And as for any of you here, if you've never opened your life to Jesus, um, just say something like this. Say, Jesus Christ, would you, would you make yourself real to me? Jesus, I want to get to know you. I want to open my life to you. I want to learn to trust you. Thank you for loving me. Thank you that you have a purpose for my life, for dying on the cross for me. And best as I know, I ask for you to come into my life. That God, that, that I could have my doubts, I could have my unbeliefs, but God, that's good enough for you, that you accept us anyways. And in your name I pray, amen.